Well, hello. Glad you're here today. I'm glad I'm here today. I'm, I'm happier I'm here than I'm happy that you're here. Uh, you understand it. Uh, this weekend included about a, uh, I don't know, it seemed like a three-day air flight, uh, airplane trip, but <clears throat> it wasn't that long, but it was a long, long trip. Coming back from Sierra Leone, um, where I've been the last couple of weeks, so um, it's good to be back. <clears throat> good to be back mainly, as I was sharing with Joe up here earlier, was because the furniture is... To, to be in a chair that's soft in the bright places is very important. You know, we under we don't appreciate that nearly as much enough. I got to tell you, uh, because even yeah, even in the most uncomfortable chair that you could possibly sit in, uh, to have a whole week of that is rough. And it was good to to be in nice, comfortable furniture last night. Your own bed being one of those, so uh, that was a good thing. Amen. Amen. For sure. So we've been, I want to say thank you to uh, Michelle and to, to John A. for covering for me last week. Uh, as um, Michelle didn't know she was, John A. had a couple of weeks in advance notice. Uh, but last week I promised you that I was going to preach from Sierra Leone and it was going to be on video and you were going to have it all. So if you came last week and you were like, well, I'm not going back. Well, you didn't say that because you're back. But uh, if, if you came last week and you were a little bummed that, that I, you didn't get to see all the pictures and everything, I'll have some of them for you today. But just to say that I was really sick, and I called my wife on your Saturday morning, which was my Saturday after evening or afternoon or whatever, and to tell her that, hey, uh, I, I did the video, I preached, I've recorded it, I've uploaded it, but I look like death warmed over. Uh, matter of fact, if you show me that video and I was in church, I would get up and leave. Uh, so so if, if you don't have to do it, then don't. And so she said, no, I'll, I'll cover for you. And so thank you, Michelle. Thank you for that. She's here today. Yes, she is. She can come back anytime, right? She can come back anytime. Yeah, so I thank you, babe, for doing that um, over and above. And, and I know that I, I thank y'all for receiving her and just knowing that, <coughs> it was, yeah, you didn't want to see me. Uh, <laughs> I, I was looking rough. That's right. Well, probably not. <coughs> probably not. That's okay. I deserved it. Uh, anyway, we're, we're continuing this study of the, the Gospel of John. Uh, we're in John chapter 15 today, and we're talking about where Jesus is actually teaching his disciples about a new kingdom community. He's teaching them about what to expect and what this, what's going to make up this kingdom community, this, this thing that we're putting together here that I'm building, this kingdom of mine, so what it's going to be like. And, and he's been t- talking a lot about how we're to love one another, right, and how to love and, and where that love comes from and all of those sorts of things. My, my hope today is that that you will hear these words and you will find hope in them. because, But they're, they're hard words. They're, hard, they're words of trouble. They're words of trial and difficulty. Uh, and I don't know if you can find hope in that, but I believe that that's why the Scriptures hold those words for us. That if you're going through a hard time in life, just know that you're not by yourself, and actually God spoke right to you. And today will be one of those passages where we, look, we talk about where if everything in life isn't going the way you thought it would, God has a word for you today. So... Um, just to say, as you can say, I titled it different uh, there on the screen. Really, because things are very different in Africa. That probably didn't come as a surprise to you. Uh, but things are very different. I, I had some pictures of some some things that are different, more so than others. Uh, one of them is farming. <coughs> this is a picture of little plots of farm and the pigs. I got pigs everywhere. Pigs and goats are all over the countryside. Uh, but this is what the farms look like. They're little plots, little little raised beds that are, they plant potatoes or cassava or 
uh, rice, where rice is more in a field, but, but oh, that's not supposed to be there. It's supposed to stay there. Uh, so, no, let's see, I just want to switch it up here for some reason. But anyway, I'll let you see these again. Because the, the rice, the, the, the fields that you worked it all by hand with a shovel, with a, with a hoe, with a large hoe, uh, and you watered it all by yourself. Uh, by a well that you had to dig in your field, and your irrigation system was a bucket that you lowered into the hole, dipped it out, and went and watered your plants, and then you came back and uh, did it again. <laughs> that was that was your irrigation system, was you and a bucket. Uh, and to harvest the crop was you and your hands. Uh, it, there was no machinery whatsoever, other than well, you count a hoe uh, and a blade. That was the extent of the machinery. But it was, farming was difficult. Farming was what most of the people did, especially in the village where we were. Most of them were farmers, and they were uh, they had a rough life, for sure. School was another thing that we spent a lot of time in schools while we were there. And uh, school is different in Sierra Leone. That probably does not come as a surprise. Uh, but the kids are the same. But the uh, but, but the reality is that, that <coughs> schools, for instance, there was an elementary school and a middle school in the village we were in. And they, uh, well, the elementary school had about 300 kids enrolled. <clears throat> the village itself had about, I think, 1,500 people. But so, and they drew people from the surrounding smaller villages into the into this community. So there were about 300 kids in the in the elementary school, and uh, in that elementary, this is all of those kids. So a bunch of those kids that when we drove up, they all ran out of class uh, because they they only have five classrooms. Uh, for 300 kids, and they have eight teachers for 300 kids. So classroom management is a high, high skill. Uh, you have to be very on point. To uh, so they followed us. Out, they ran out of school and followed us out into the, into the soccer field, and we led them all into the church and then closed the door. Uh, so that way, because otherwise you weren't getting anything done. So we had to keep them captivated. The door, the church had doors on it, and we closed them and we left uh, because otherwise they would have been in our pockets all afternoon. Uh, so, yeah. Middle school was different. Middle school there had, had about 250 kids in the middle school, and they, too, had five classrooms and eight teachers. Uh, so it was a good time by all. Uh, so there was, there was no high school in the town, so they had to go, they had to walk uh, into the city, which was about an 11-mile walk uh, into the city, where they would stay for the week with family or what have you, and then they would come home. The ones who went to high school, most of them high school, but a lot of them did, and they had to walk into town uh, to go to school. Uh, one kid said he woke up with the, the Muslim horn to prayer at 5 o'clock, and he would get up and get ready and walk to school, and he would be there about the time school started at 10. So, and it was over a mountain, uh, 11 miles that he had to walk. So it was, it was you know, school was a little different <laughs> for teachers, for teachers and for students. Let's just say, recess was the same, you know, you get out and you play, have a good time. It was, uh, but <coughs> this is a school in a neighboring village. You can see this one's a fairly new school, so uh, it's all bright. And, but there's a classroom of probably, I don't know, I guess they were third or fourth graders. But you can see how many are in the classroom. And it was just a whole bunch of kids. And, um, yeah. It's not the only thing that was different. Uh, school's not, for sure, although it was different. But, uh, another thing that was very different is moms. Moms, your life in Sierra Leone is very different. 
See, moms, they, they do the same things there in a lot of ways. They, they care for their family. They, they get up. They take care of get the family out the door and do all that stuff. But then they, they have to begin to prepare whatever it is they're going to sell for the day. I mean, you're in a day-to-day living situation, so if you're going to sell potato cakes, you spend the morning cooking and peeling and, and making potato cakes to, to put into your basket on your head, and you walk them into town and sell what you can sell. Or the fruit... Or if your husband catches fish, then you smoke the fish and you put it in your basket and you take it into town and sell your fish. Um, the fruit that he picks or the kids pick the day before, you take it into the market to sell. Or maybe you're a nurse. Uh, but still, you have all the, all the other responsibilities of momhood that come about with it, right? Everything's on top of that. It's not like uh, the lifestyle is very different. Uh, their traffic is another thing that's very different. Uh, they have no signs, no lights, no, no nothing. Uh, it doesn't matter the size of the town. Freetown is a fairly large city. You know, I don't know how many people live there, but in Freetown, probably well, several hundred thousand people live there in the city, in the big city on the coast. But in the village we were in was probably was the second largest city, I believe, in the country. And it was probably a city of, if I were to guess, because I don't know, but if I were to guess, I would say maybe 100,000 people. But I don't, there wasn't a street sign, one. And, but nobody, most people didn't drive cars. They all drove these little motorcycles. And the motorcycles were also the taxi service. Uh, so if you wanted to ride somewhere because you couldn't afford a vehicle, you would, you would hop on somebody's motorcycle and they would take you into town. Or, and you'd put the whole family on there, right? Everybody would ride. Uh, it didn't matter how many there were. They'd all pile on. And, and uh, I think you know, you, it was not uncommon to see four, five, six people on a motorcycle together. Uh, Helmets, seat belts are not required on a motorcycle, praise be to the Lord. Uh, so <laughs> uh, but that was how a lot of them got around, was uh, on these little small motorcycles, uh, little scooter-like things that they rode around. Uh, but traffic was was interesting. They had a system of blowing horns where one toot meant like, was like, hey, do you see me? And then one honk back was, yes, I see you. And a long honk was, get out of my way, you know, that kind of thing, just like we know that one. But it was this constant honk, 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 honk back and forth. Everywhere you went, it was people were constantly just tooting their horn all the time. Luggage racks are a different thing in Sierra Leone. Uh, this was uh, one we saw going down the highway. Uh, there were a group of these cars. They, they, I believe they were traveling to Guinea, uh, the country just to the north. But uh, there were about eight of these. <laughs> I just had to get a picture of them. They were like, I, I think when he went around a curve, like two of the tires came off the ground. I mean, it was like seriously loaded. Uh, one of the vehicles had a, a guy was riding on the top. I guess he was kind of the ballast. He would get on, he would move around on the top to kind of keep the vehicle on the road. It was pretty wild. I've never seen anything quite that large on top of a car before. Uh, but there were several of them. Uh, this is a picture of, uh, you may think that is a very unremarkable picture. This is in the city of Freetown. They, didn't, they don't have the little motorcycles everybody rides. But here are their taxi cabs of those little, uh, the little three-seater things. That's their taxi cabs. So everybody would ride in those instead. It's a little safer, but not really. I mean, it was still, because there's no, no traffic laws. It didn't seem to be at all anywhere. Other than they have these traffic lights. You can see the traffic lights in the middle of the, of the top. Uh, didn't have traffic lights, but none of them worked. There were only two in the whole city. Uh, neither one of them worked, but, but they, had, they had did a study about you know, how we could improve traffic in the city, right? And so they, they spent, what was told to us, they spent the equivalent of 600 U.S. million dollars to install traffic signals in the city. <clears throat> the, they installed two of them. And as you can see, that looks like an odd place for a traffic light because it doesn't really look like a crossing street. And there's not. 
<laughs> they have two of them that are just like in the, in the street, like in the middle of the block. Like, right, this is the traffic light. There's no crossing street. It's going to be green all the time, right? It's like, what would, why, why would you start there? Like, why would, let's start in the most congested part of town, and let's put a light there maybe. That would be helpful. Instead, they put it, like, <laughs> I, don't, I can't even explain to you how silly of a place it was. We laughed every time we drove through it. It was like, like this is ridiculous how you would put a light here, but they put two of them in. Uh, and I guess they stay green all the time, so they just quit working. I'm not sure why, but. But traffic in Sierra Leone is pretty bizarre. Uh, they don't, that is for sure. Some other things that are different in Sierra Leone, the average lifespan is 51 years. You don't live long if you're a Sierra Leone, Sierra Leonean, because um, life is hard. They burn everything, you know, for crops, and they just light a fire to clear their land, and it happens to burn 500 acres, and they're okay with that, because it doesn't really matter, but... But if you saw in my pictures, they all look kind of hazy. It's not because I'm a poor, well, I'm a poor photographer, but it's mostly because of the haze that was in the, just, it was just muggy, smoggy everywhere, right? You couldn't see through it. Uh, some days the visibility was, wasn't far at all. I mean, you couldn't see far. You couldn't see the mountaintops. You couldn't see the hilltops, right? I mean, it was really thick. Um, and so that just causes all kinds of, Breathing issues, pneumonia is a big high, a reason for death there. Uh, a lot of respiratory problems that they have because it's so smoggy. Uh, <clears throat> not to mention the diseases that they have there. You know the Ebola crisis that went, that, that spent a lot of time in Sierra Leone, and um, so they don't live long. But they're fortunate, though. I guess is a way to look at it because their their average annual income is only around twenty two hundred dollars. Average annual income is about two, a little over two thousand dollars, two hundred dollars a month. Average. The median, the median income there is around two hundred fifty dollars a year. The most common income for an individual, two hundred fifty bucks. The money is, you know, they don't have much. They don't have much at all, uh, and they. So they, they look for ways to get by, just like we would if we were in that place, right? If we didn't have anything, uh, and who's going to fault them for, for the, the ways they get by, right? I mean, they just they have to make life the best they can. Some things that they sh- have in common with us, I think, are, are pretty powerful. And one thing I wanted to share with you last week that we share in common with them, that we as Christians here in America and them as Christians in Sierra Leone, even though Christian, Christianity there is the minority uh, religion for sure is only about 20 30 percent of Sierra Leone's are Christian most is are Muslim um, by far the major religion there is Muslim <clears throat> but but they have the same connection that we have that Michelle spoke of last week of, of being connected to God in Christ they have the same connection to God that we've got the, the exact same like there's no different they are they are our family right that, that we share something great in common with them, our faith. Just as we're connected to Jesus, they're connected. For the same reason they're connected is the same reason we're connected, to produce fruit. Right? So He can produce fruit in our lives. That same fruit that Michelle talked to you about last week. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Right? Those same things that, that God wants to produce in our lives that He's trying to produce in their lives. Because those are the things that happen when you're connected, right? That God does that. That's what happens. That fruit 
that comes from your lives because we're connected. Not because we're that great or that because we're a good Christian or anything like that. No, God does that. You don't do that. They don't do that. God's the only one that produces that fruit in your life. Our lives. Other thing that they have that we have <clears throat> the same desire for life as I spoke just a moment ago that <coughs> they want to be happy just like you want to be happy. Right? They want to have a good life. They want to live, have their family healthy. They want to be healthy. They want to see next year. You know, for a lot of them, they won't. You know, the, the infant mortality, I believe, is around 8%. Uh, 8% of the children that die at birth. Uh, much higher than it is here in the United States. Uh, it's just a reality that, that they want it to be good, but it's not. Right? And so when America, Ubuntu, shows up, white man, uh, shows up, they look to us for whatever we can give them. Because their life is so far off of what they know it should be. They desire life. And for us, our desire for happiness, for a good life, for all of that, what that, what that creates in us, you and I oftentimes, is, is a desire to be comfortable. Just like I was joking about that chair, it really wasn't a joke. I wanted, wanted a comfortable place to sit, and I never could find one, right? But what, when all we do is live our lives wanting to be comfortable, what happens when, when you live your life that way? Anything that's Anything that creates difficulty, we avoid it. We look for the path of least resistance. You know, we want the thing that works smooth. And if it's not smooth, well, that's not, that's not the one I want. Right? If it doesn't come easy, then uh, I, don't know if I'm, I don't know if I should put all into that one. Right? That's the way we naturally think. That it's, if God is in it, then it ought to be easy. Right? That's such a lie that you'd ever come to faith in Christ and expect an easy life. That is not the promise we're going to look at here in just a second. You see, the problem is, is that, that that seeking comfort becomes a trap for us. It becomes a trap that it's hard to escape from because, because as we seek comfort, then we're going to avoid opposition. And avoiding opposition, if, if nothing is a struggle, then what do you need God for? And so faith weakens when everything is so good and with little faith, you have an empty life because you have nothing, no reason to believe. No reason to believe anything because everything's so good. But Jesus comes into this passage that we're looking at today, and he gives us the same promise that he gave my friends in Sierra Leone. A promise that I'm not so sure it's one that, that you came today looking to hear. But it's one you're going to hear anyway. You stick around for a couple seconds. <clears throat> See, in John chapter 15, Jesus he tells his disciples what's going to happen as you live connected to him, as you live connected to the true vine, what happens? He says, in, starting in verse 18 through, I'm going to read through verse 20, uh, 25. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, wink, wink, they didn't, that's why they're trying to kill him, they will obey yours also. Wink, wink, they ain't listening to you any more than they listen to me, he says. Verse 21, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But as it is, 
they have seen and yet have treated both me and, and have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Jesus says, if the world hates you, it's because of me. If the world hates you. I'm not guaranteed that the world is going to hate you, but if it does, it's because of me. In our world, in our American culture, there's not a whole lot of, you don't get a lot of grief for being a Christian. It's the majority culture, right? For being a Christian. How many people say they're born a Christian? You know, if you're born in America, that makes you a Christian. It doesn't. You came thinking that you were born in America and you made you a Christian. It does not. Not. You're not. Maybe. Right? It takes something else. It takes a surrender to Christ. I, many of you know that I coach high school football. Or, and, and I'll tell you one of the things that, that oftentimes when coaches get together during the week, like before the game, they will watch film and they watch a lot of film and they, they make notes of the film. Like, But what they're making notes of is the, the, the players on the field, right? The players, the good ones, right? The ones who are the game changers. And of the ones who are not so much game changers, they're kind of space occupiers, right? Uh, you want to see the game changers because you want to stay away from those kids, right? You want to see the kids that aren't so great so you can take advantage of them, right? That's, that's why we watch the film. That's why we come up with a game plan of how to win the game, who we can... Stay, who we need to stay away from and what we can take advantage of. Satan is no different when he looks at Christians. He looks to see who he can take advantage of, how he can attack those who are very fruitful. doesn't matter if you're a, a rock star or a Christian or a struggling Christian who's really struggling. If you're in the game, you're going to be under attack. You're going to be opposed there's one that we, that coaches don't worry about. There's, there's one player that we never worry about. It's the one on the sideline with that bright white uniform that's been, that hadn't watched it all year because he needed to, right? Because he's never on the field. The coaches never worry about that one. Never worry about that one. He's never in the game. You don't have to. If you're in the game spiritually, then you can expect conflict. Jesus says it. It's coming. If you're doing if you're, if you're doing the stuff that I call you to, then you can expect conflict. You can expect opposition. I mean, we, we all want to be liked, right? We all want to be accepted. We, all, we don't want to be disliked and disapproved of. It I mean, as a follower of Jesus, you have to accept, because Jesus told you that, that that's not going to be your life. Everyone's not going to like you. Everyone's not going to approve of your choices. If you're following me, everybody's not going to approve. <laughs> he says, and you're thinking, oh, where's the good news in that? Uh, that is the good news. He says, because when it happens, you need to know it's not because of you. It's not because, I mean, we want to be accepted. And Jesus says, you, you, can, you're, you are accepted. I accept you, but you need to know that when others judge you, when others have opinions about you, and when, when others do that towards you, it's not because of you. It's because of me, he says. It's because of me. Remember John wrote the Gospel of John. He says, he tells us in here that, that he wrote it so that we would believe. Right? And so when, when people 
come to Christ and they experience hardships and difficulties and people don't approve of how they're living their life. John wanted people and Jesus wanted His followers to know that it's okay. It's okay when you experience difficulties. It's okay when people disapprove of how you live your life. It's okay if you're living your life for me. But man, there is nothing that will cause us to doubt our faith any quicker than somebody we know or somebody we love who casts doubt on what we do. There's nothing that will make us question ourselves any faster. Why are you giving all your money to the church anyway? You've got all that credit card debt. That's crazy. You should like, stop giving to the church and pay that debt off. And so before, you'd always give them to the church joyfully. And now all of a sudden, you're thinking, I don't know why I should. I think maybe they're right. But you, you love Jesus, and so you're going to give anyway. And so you, now you come to church, and you're like, yeah, I guess I will. Right? It's created doubt in you. It's no longer joyful. Now it's an obligation. Now it's something that you, you have to do, or you, you uh, don't, don't really want to do it anymore. Now I want to pay the bill. Right? Same thing. Or Sunday morning. When... When you first came to Jesus, you, you wanted to go to church because, man, I want to go and worship Him and, and, and pray and, and be with my Christian friends. And, and then somebody says, hey, how about we just go fishing? It's a beautiful day. Why don't, why don't we go to that little restaurant that we've been talking about going to and, and having brunch? Let's just do that. Well, you can go to church any Sunday. It doesn't say in the Bible that you've got to go to church every Sunday. So you start thinking that, that church, worshiping God, becomes optional. Are we going to go to church this Sunday? Or are we going to do something else? Right? And, in, and so when you come, you sit here thinking, Boy, it is pretty out there. I bet the fish are biting. Like, and, and so you start to wonder, right? People create that doubt in your mind, and you know, we allow them to create the doubt in our mind, right? When we entertain that. And that's just opposition that comes into our life that, that frankly, it's going to come. Jesus says, it's going to come. Because there's people that have plans for your life that are different than... God's plans for your life. You didn't know that. There are people in this world who have plans for your life other than that that God has for you. See, as Christians, we, we understand, because Jesus is telling us here, that opposition in your life, that difficulty, that struggle in your life, does not necessarily mean that God is opposed to you. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It might be that you're in God's will. And sin and Satan doesn't like it much. But even if we... But even doing it all right, even if you're doing everything the right way, everything as you should, I just Jesus says that you will face opposition. You will face opposition. And that opposition is <coughs> John 15, 20. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they would obey yours also. Right? Part of the opposition, you see, is, is, comes from creation. Part of the opposition that we face comes from creation. It's a, and that's an opposition that you can see pretty vividly in Africa, that life is hard. Right? The curse of creation is on the world, and its thorns and thistles are there that we have to deal with in life, right? But that's just the reality of it. But there's a, a curse of sin where Jesus was opposed at every turn. And we know that we too 
if we're seeking to live our lives like Him, if we're seeking to, to follow Him with our life, then we can expect that same opposition that He experienced. Same thing we can experience in our life. But, but we need to understand the, the, the problem of opposition. The problem of problems. <clears throat> the problem of conflict. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but um, the problem with conflict is that it's hard to love. Think about it. You and your spouse. You and your somebody somebody at work. You have an issue with them, right? What's the what's your immediate reaction to that person when you see them? If, if it's somebody you, you have conflict with, it's separation. It's to lean back. It's about to get away from. It's, I mean, you think about it. You and your spouse or you and your significant other have a fight, and what's the last thing you want to do is go do something special for them, right? Last thing you want to do is go and hold their hand, give them a hug, right? Matter of fact, the thought comes in your mind that I should go in there and apologize, and you say, no, I shouldn't. I should wait for them, <laughs> right? right? It's, it's like immediate. It's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Why? But, and that's the problem with conflict is that it makes us separate. It pulls us out. It, and, and this whole time in the Gospel of John, Jesus is saying, love one another. How are you going to love somebody that you don't like being around? Right? You can't. You can't. And when you have conflict with somebody, it's hard to lean into that. That's what he's saying. You're going to have conflict, but don't stop leaning in. Jesus had conflict with people. Did he just quit? No. I mean, he certainly, I mean, he would, he would go to a different place, but he kept loving people. He never stopped loving people. Same deal. When he experienced conflict, the, the desire is to, whoa, yeah, I'm done with them. I'm a, I'll wait for them to apologize. Like, I heard what they said. I, I'm not going to talk to them anymore. Really? Jesus is saying, conflict's going to happen. Just, just be fruit, let my fruit live in you. Like, lean into it. You have trouble with somebody? Don't avoid them. Don't avoid them. Lean into that. Ask what you did to offend them. You might be surprised. They may say, you didn't offend me. I thought I bothered you. Right? I mean, it's like silly stuff. Like, don't let the conflict become the problem, Jesus says. Let me be the problem. Let me be the problem. Let their problem be with me. That's why conflict is such an issue. Because we have the same calling on our life. Us here and them in Africa. It's not advancing like, a, like it should. John 15.19 says, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. That's why the world hates you. Because Jesus chose His disciples out of the world. He called them out of the world to live differently. To live differently. First Peter, who talks about this same problem of, of hate and opposition to, to the life of faith, he, says, he tells them to live respectfully among your neighbor, your unbelieving neighbors. To live respectfully. If they hate you, let it be because of Jesus. Not because of something you say or you do. Allow the hate to be about Him. Don't make it about you. Let it be about Him. All, you, all we have to do is, is show that fruit that He says will, will be produced in your life if you just stay connected to me. Fruit's going to appear. Let them see that. Let them see your love. Let them see your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your gentleness. Let them see that in your life. 
and allow their hate because they want that in their lives too, so they're going to be a little jealous, right? So let them, let that be about me, not about you, Jesus says. Frankly, we need to stop wasting time trying to convince people of the truth of Jesus. If you, if you get caught up in trying to convince people of the love of Jesus, maybe in, especially with somebody you've tried again and again and again. Like, I don't know anybody who's ever been argued in the church. Maybe as a kid, you got argued in the church because you're going and that's it, right? So we didn't have a choice. But once we become adults, you don't get argued in the church. You get loved in. Right? Somebody loves you and you say, ah, I want to go, right? Somebody showed you love and so you want to be a part of it. They didn't convince you by, by your, their arguments. We need to allow his love alive in us to convict. Not, not, our, not try to get our, use the right words and craft the right arguments and convince people just to love them just to love them and invite them into relationship with Jesus it might happen but if it doesn't happen remember it didn't happen for Jesus he said they they didn't listen to me and they're going to listen to you the same way (laughs) and they're not but it might Jesus didn't give up even when they wouldn't listen even when they didn't understand he didn't give up he didn't stop inviting he didn't stop loving continue. Persecution wouldn't stop him and it shouldn't stop us because persecution, opposition is just what happens when you're on Team Jesus. It's just what happens when you're on Team Jesus. That's it. Our response to opposition is is to live boldly in it. To live our lives boldly just to say, yes, it's coming. But I'm not going to shrink away and face it. In fact, I'm going to face opposition. I'm going to stand up to it. And as I do, stand up in difficulty, my faith is going to build. And as my faith is going to build, I'm going to find myself actually living closer to Jesus. I watched, on the way home, I had a chance to, to watch a whole bunch of movies on the airplane. And one of them I watched was Harriet Tubman. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie, but uh, it was filmed around here. Uh, and <clears throat> the story of Harriet Tubman, and I didn't know the story, actually. Uh, but it was a story of her faith. Wow, was that a woman of faith, right? And as she began to, to really lean into what God was asking her to do, the call that he had on her life, she began to lean into that more and more and more. Her ministry grew and grew and grew, right? Like one time, I think she, she, said she delivered 750 slaves like at a time. Like, how do you, that's a whole city. How does that ha- I don't know how that happens, but that's the Spirit of God at work in her. And she was responding to it grew and it grew and it grew again and again and again. That's what happens when we live boldly in the face of opposition. Faith grows and we find Jesus. First Peter, as I said, shares, talks a lot about this same idea of living in the face of opposition. And Peter wrote, the Apostle Peter, he also wrote uh, in chapter 4 up here. I, I'm going to share it with you today. <clears throat> Dear friends, he said, that's not it. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, he says. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. He says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the glory of and of for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. How about that? 
If, you're, if, you're, if you feel like you're being put down for doing the right thing, praise be to God, he says. He says, but if you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler, a, a, a gossip, he says. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. He says, like, Jesus says expected, and Peter says, but it's going to be good. I mean, it's not good, but it's, it will be good because you're doing it for Him. You see, Christians are different. Now, some of you, maybe you know some Christians that are really different. I'm not talking like that. I'm talking a little bit, but we're called to be different. We're called out of the world. We seek to be faithful and not comfortable. Because that's what our Lord taught us. We find joy in accomplishing hard things. We find joy in accomplishing hard things because we do them unto the Lord. It brings Him glory. And so we actually enjoy the hard stuff. We seek to sacrifice for others. Because Jesus sacrificed for us. I mean, He left heaven to come to earth to take on the flesh that he created and not just take on the flesh but actually to die in that flesh die because of that flesh a torturous murderous death for you we seek to serve one another because Jesus served us as a servant as a healer, as a teacher, as a friend we seek to help others find new life because we've been given new life. We do this because of who we are. The, the, the New Testament has a word for, for people like this who, who try to copy their lives out of, of Jesus. It, it was a word, it was a new word back then. They called them Christians. <laughs> Little Christs is what the word meant. Like they were, they were running around trying to be like Him. It was a word of mockery at the time but we've kind of claimed it as, hey, they're actually pretty right. See, we've been called out. We, you and I, Christians, have been called out. It used to happen to me a lot in school. Um, my kids, who are both here today, I used to ask them every day when they came home from school, hey, did you get sent to the principal's office? And they always looked at me like, Dad, that's the dumbest thing you can always ask us. And I always ask them because I, their father, spent a lot of time in the principal's office. And so my concern was always for them. That, uh, don't, and a, a couple times they'd come home and say, yep, I had. But, but, and I was like, blame it on me, right? It was my, it's, it's, you got it honest at least. But, but no, I spent a lot of time in the principal's office. And, and when I went in the principal's office, a few teachers, they had a, a special desk. Or they convinced me that it was a special desk. <clears throat> Uh, and they allowed it, they saved it just for me. Every class, every time I go in their class, they'd say, come here, pretty, pretty, you got a special desk. And if their desk, if their desk were here, the special desk was right there. <laughs> it was like, it was like I could just sit in the front, like it, it, was, it, it wasn't that special. They were trying to convince me that it was, I think, but no, it was not special. One teacher I remember uh, did something that, that changed my approach to their class anyway. It didn't transfer over any of the other classes. I was still getting in trouble a lot. But in this one teacher's class, uh, in addition to giving me the special desk, uh, what came with that special desk was the opportunity to, to do all of her menial tasks, uh, which I was okay with. Go clean the erasers. Yes, ma'am. You don't know what cleaning the erasers are, kids. Uh, they were like things that they 
they erased the chalkboard on, they, they would get full of chalk, they would get dirty, and you had to go outside and clean them. But it was a miserable job. I mean, you talk about lung disease. I mean, it was awful, but, but, it, was, but it was outside. <laughs> that was the, the plus side was everybody else was in class and you were outside pretending to clean erasers. But oh, that's, although I would also have to hand out papers. I'd have to collect papers. I had to go to the office to get something. And it, she filled my life with tasks, with responsibilities. And what happened? After a while, I started looking forward to doing all those things. And I became less of a pain in her rear in class. Right? She, she, she changed me. It only worked for that 90 minutes, but she changed me. She, gave, she made me responsible for something. It, took the, it, allowed, it forced me to take my focus off of me and onto some task that she put in front of me. That's what our calling does. Our calling gets our focus up to what He's called us to look at. He's called us out of the world. Not in it, but out of the world. So we encourage. We don't tear down. We offer words of hope, not words of gossip. We, we show love, not division. We're different. You're different. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're different. Now, I get it. You're when you, you may say, yeah, I wish I were, but I'm not, I'm not feeling different. I don't feel opposition in my life. I don't feel like I'm that different than everybody else. Even though you love Jesus and you, you, all of that. Every, you are a follower of Christ, but your life doesn't feel that different than anybody else's, frankly. I just offer a word to you today. Because maybe, just maybe, because this difference isn't something that you have to feel. It's a, it's a fact. Jesus says, I called you out. You're different. But, but we don't think we're different because we don't feel it. And I would say this to you. Maybe it's because you're not in the game. Maybe it's because you're not on the field of mission. You're not living your life on mission, and so there's nothing really opposing your life. So maybe it would change... Take a matter of changing perspective of the way you go to work tomorrow. But today at work, I'm working for Jesus. And see where the opposition comes. Maybe it would be just a matter of, of where you serve in the church. Maybe where you serve in your community. How you approach your neighbors for Christ as opposed to for you or for them. That you, you go and you shoot bear fruit in those relationships. Pray that God would put you in the game. You can pray that today. You may think, where well, where? The great thing about the way God works is that it doesn't really matter where. It doesn't really matter where. You can just start being faithful. Like, go on mission right where you are. Like, I even encourage people to just, just pray. and say, God, I'm, I'm going to step into the mission field today. I don't know what you're bringing. And literally, I don't know where my foot's going. But wherever my foot goes, I'm going to trust that God... We say it in a few minutes that God has put me there, right? That, that, I, that use me. I'm sure you will find opposition, but it will be good because you will know that you are on purpose. Others of you want your life to be different. You, you, want, you know your life looks like the world and it's, it's 
it's kind of pointless and, and it, it's, not, it's not what you know it should be because the world is not a happy place and, and you want something different for your life. You want to be different. But it starts with an, a prayer of surrender. Offering your life to Him. To surrender your life to Him and say, Lord, you direct my life and I'll follow you. You want to be different. That's the way to be different. If you want what the world gets, what the world wants, then be like the world. But if you want something different, then living to what God has said you are. Different. I'd like to pray for you. And then we're going to receive, we're going to share Holy Communion. And in communion is a is God's gift to us, His grace that we receive through this act of Holy Communion, that we receive His grace that actually empowers us to live differently. But before we share that, I would like to pray to join me. God, you're good. <clears throat> Many here today, God, they know they're, they're different, but they don't feel it. God, I just ask you just to confirm your call upon their life today. That you have called them to be different. You've equipped them to be different. You've, you've blessed them with, with your spiritual gifts, God, so that they would be different and that they would be representatives of you in this world, God, that we get to do that. That that's exciting. Thank you, Lord, that by faith we are made different. So, Lord, I just ask you to, to bless us in that. Bless those of us who, are, who struggle with that, the fear of rejection and the fear of, of being left out that we might just walk boldly, confidently, in faith. God, others who are here today that see the, the pointlessness of life in this world, or they see life in this world as pointless sometimes, that people are just out for themselves, and everybody's just looking to get more and more and not worried about anybody else. And it seems like such an empty life. You promise to give us life and life to its full. You promise to give us a full, purpose-filled life. And it starts with our surrendering to you. That you would become the Lord of our life, to direct our life. To give our lives meaning and significance. So for those who are here today, God, who, who are starting that relationship, who are offering themselves to you this very day, receive it, God. Bless them with an awareness that, that their prayer of surrender, like, God, save me, is answered. Not only do you want to save them from their past, you promise to give them a future. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. God, you are, you are more than we do. 